In this episode of The Clappers, we talk about the final quarter. We talk about the great race, the Tour de France. We have to, really, don't we? We, we because do. Because it's that yeah. time of year. It's that time of year, exactly. And that's why people listen to The Clappers. We talk about Lambs of God. Yes. Which, if that's not why people listen to The Clappers, perhaps it will be after this. We talk about MasterChef. Lots to mull over. Welcome to the Clappers. This is Andrew Young. And this is Carl Quinn. Carl, I had listened back to last week's, or oh, our last episode of the Clappers. Yes. Again. Carl, I had... Also l- known, known as Andrew gives Carl a giant wedgie over his pants. Carl. Yes, Andrew. I had the opportunity to listen back to our most recent episode of The Clappers. Also, no, are we going to do this again? Are we on a loop? Are we on a loop here? An infinite loop? Go on. And? And, as I was listening to you... Yes. ...talking about Mystify... Yes, you were mystified. I thought, you know, maybe I will give it a look. Carl Carl makes some very interesting points about this film, and maybe I'll give it a look. I don't like where this is going. (laughs) And... That was how I felt until, just as I was about to stop listening and get out of the car, I heard an excerpt from said film, Mystify, mm-hmm. which completely disabused me of any desire right, or right. need. So you kept your mind open for long enough yep, yep, to, to drive home. The most pretentious waffle, non-typical quasi-intellectual pseudo-spiritual garbage from I don't know who because I, I don't recognise any of the voices, but from someone, I'm not even going to repeat it because people can just listen back and decide for themselves if what I say is is true. But you you, you did a good job. You did a good job on convincing uh, a, a person, skeptic person who is not not even a skeptic person who just has no interest in this topic. And whatsoever. Can I just say you did a great job yeah. of judging on the basis of a 15 second audio clip? That's all, that's all I need. My radar <laughs> is. Pristine. It's without peer. Can I just say, yes. don't let anything get in the way of your judgments. Yeah, no, never will. Never will. Never will. <laughs> okay, very quickly, at the moment, something has happened in the Tour de France. We are in the second week that I never thought would happen. That is, Julian Alaphilippe still retains the yellow jersey. The Frenchman, who nobody expected to be leading the Tour de France, won the individual time trial, has put time into his rivals. Uh, and it's, quite, it's just quite amazing that he still is. We are soon to enter the Alps, so that will sort the... Climbers from the non-climbers, as they say. And it's very exciting at the moment. Uh, the Caleb Ewan, the Australian cyclist, has won two stages, which is very exciting. And the Australian team, Mitch and Scott, have won three stages, which is great for Australian cycling. Is that the best I've ever done? At the tour? At the tour uh, like they've also won the individual... Oh, the, sorry, the, the team time trial. Now, yep. that's a very prestigious thing to win. So yeah, you yeah. could say, like, in terms of numbers, I think that's the most stages. I think it's the most stages. Mm. Or equals the most stages they won. They also were in yellow. There when Simon Gerrans was riding with them, he was in yellow. Then he, they say, gifted it to the South African rider on the same team, Daryl Impey, who has won a stage this year. So it's, it's an interesting way of, of measuring their most successful, what is their most successful. Mm. But this is a great... This is great for them, mm. you know. So the race continues to be exciting. It continues to throw up surprises. So I urge people, if they like surprises and they like excitement, to watch Latour. 
Oh. Yes. One more thing. Oh, dear. Here we go. Now, you're going to love this, You've man. come with notes. You've actually come with no, a no. post-it. This, this was just this little post <laughs> I just put, put down a couple little time things, that's all. Right, go just, on. Just a couple little time things, that's all. Note to, hang on, hang on. What's yeah, it? Item three, pick up milk. No, go on. Uh, I read something in your newspaper on oh, Friday. Dear. Yeah, go on. I loved it. Oh, I loved there it. There you go. It was a double-page spread, mm. a double-page spread on a topic that we've actually covered in a previous episode of The Clappers. Yes, enlighten yes. me. And it was a double-page spread on George Calambaris owing roughly $8 million to his employees. Mm. And it was beautifully presented. It had a timeline of all his various uh, – Openings and closings, and, and and of his career, the, the including on the timeline was him punching a nineteen-year-old in the chest uh, for I think yelling out "Pay your workers" or something to him at the soccer, and he was convicted. But fortunately, when you're in a position like that, he was able to have that uh, overturned on appeal and struck from the record. So it was great to read that, and it was great to both papers uh, are getting into that. And so I was really pleased, and I was really pleased to see that. Um, bizarrely, coincidentally, they're, um, they're the three hosts of MasterChef are now no longer going to be three hosts of MasterChef. Well, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, and I don't think that it is. Uh, I don't think you can draw no, the line no, from no. George's. Woes. It would be nice. It would be nice, but you can't yeah. because that, those negotiations go for quite a while. That's so, right. With the listeners don't know, MasterChef's a popular television show. These three men host it. They're in their contract negotiations. I, I think the listeners know. Do I they? really okay. do. <laughs> They're in contract negotiations. Wanted a forty percent increase. It has been written. It has been written, and I, I don't know how rock solid that is. I mean, okay. uh, some some reporting today seems, or in, in fact. My, my colleague Michael Lalo, who's done a very good job on pursuing this story, uh, sort of it had been reported elsewhere about the the million dollar a year yeah, that each of them was supposedly get. getting, um, and and Michael uh, I think broke the news that they were supposedly after a forty percent pay increase. I it, it seems mm. like maybe they weren't all on the same fee. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's very it, very yeah, difficult to actually know for sure. Yeah. What people are being paid yeah. because very rarely, unless you're the ABC, <laughs> when, when occasionally a document is leaked, that's quite right. I, I was looking at that just recently, actually. For some reason, yeah. I went back to see how on earth did we actually discover what Tony Jones was paid? And it was it was 2012. It was a staffer at um, at the ABC who accidentally emailed yes. that document, like the accidental to- facts. <laughs> When, do you remember in so front, I think it was the first nation. front line, Mike Moore was Indeed. faxing the show rundowns right. um, to a current affair right. by mistake? Because <laughs> current affair kept peeping them and getting getting their scoops on yeah. that. How are How they is doing this? Happening? This must be a leak. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. generally speaking, mm. that doesn't happen. No, we don't no. know what people are getting. <laughs> there's whispers and there's yes, suggestions, and especially over if time. especially if you've got three people on the same show and they're not all getting the same money. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but can I just say on that point of yeah. the money that I uh, I certainly begrudge any plutocrat, any restaurateur who is robbing the workers, as I've as we've spoken of millions of dollars. But I don't begrudge any person who appears in a television show asking for whatever they want. If the show is generating that money through advertising, product placement, mm. whatever, they're cheap shows to make. They're both, like the like the block and others. They're all 
put tied in with with products that have been given to them by the manufacturers and the retailers. If, if the show's making money, then they can ask for what they want. And if it doesn't put too much of a dent to the profit, well, good on them. I, so, I so I totally agree. I totally agree with that point. Mm. Uh, disagree with the argument that they're cheap shows to make. Okay, um, all right. Okay. Master Chef is, well, I think, yes, a, yes, a, an, an expensive show to make. Yeah, uh, because they they see it in the paper. The figures, the figures I've seen um, go back a few years, and they put it at. Um, about $50 million a year to produce it, mm-hmm. right? which is quite a lot. Yep. I mean, they do somewhere between 60 and 70 episodes a year, so you're talking seven hundred dollars to $800,000 an episode, which for reality TV is relatively expensive, yep. but you're quite right to say that they uh, defray or, or allay some of those costs through sponsorship arrangements, contra, mm-hmm. um, a whole range of things yeah. that bring down, presumably bring down the cost of the network yeah. of, of those things. Um, so... So yeah, look, it's what what they get is what they what they get. I mean, what yeah. they ask for rather is yeah. what they ask for, and yeah. they didn't. the The network wasn't willing to pay that. Supposedly. Presumably, it's not making. But there's the an money. argument. There's an argument that in fact, what's going on in terms of them ten saying no, we're we're not, uh, we can't we can't reach uh, an agreement that mm-hmm. is. Uh, uh, satisfactory to Gary, yeah. George, and Matt. Uh, it, the it's possible that that. Ten is spinning that to yep. make it look like they've they've drawn a line, saying, "Oh, they're just being greedy," right? Yep. When in fact the the contract negotiations stalled not over dollars, mm. and certainly the three, uh, well, Gary and Matt have both, uh, Gary Megan and Matt Preston have both been on social media today, intimating that it wasn't about money; mm-hmm. it was actually about uh, when they wanted to be released from their obligation to the show. What's what um, we discovered today doing a bit of uh, digging around in company uh, documents is that Gary, George, and Matt formed a company in February of this year uh, called I think it's called um, I, it might be called Gary Matt George or um, Gary George and Matt I think it's called something whatever yeah, yeah. but basically the three of them have formed this company presumably to negotiate. As, as an entity, yeah. the three of them as an entity. So they want the same kind of money, yep. they want the same kind of conditions, conditions, they want a deal, and they want to be able to take that deal wherever they, wherever they can strike the best one. Right? They yeah. want to take, take themselves as a property mm-hmm. wherever they can get the, the best deal. There's a suggestion that they may have been talking to streaming players, possibly Netflix, possibly Amazon, who yeah. knows, possibly Stan. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're in play. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So... So the story that we've been uh, that that's been circulating undoubtedly has some truth to it, but mm. is probably not the entirety yeah. of what's what's gone on. I would add to that the mm. observation I wrote a piece today on on how the the search for three new hosts might actually be a blessing for MasterChef because mm-hmm. it's just endured its lowest ratings in eleven seasons. Yeah, right? the finale, uh, which was on as we're recording this, it was on last night. Um, it was the worst result that it's ever had. Right? Yeah. It had a bad year in 2013. It bounced back up. And this year, it's, you know, yeah. it's not a disaster, but it's a tiring format. Yeah. And people know exactly what they're getting when they turn it on. I mean, I still like MasterChef. I think okay. it's actually a really, it's a, it's a nice show. It's a yeah. show you can watch with your kids. It's yeah. a show where it celebrates people's achievement and mm-hmm. people's learning. Mm-hmm. You know, people actually get better over the course yeah. of the show. Yeah. And I think that's not a bad thing. It's, it's something that, you know, sure. when there's so much sure. on TV and particularly in the reality TV mm-hmm. space that is actually about humiliation and belittling yeah. people and the nastier side of human nature, it's good to see something. 
something it's that actually celebrates people trying and succeeding or failing honourably. Failing, you yeah. Know? It's like that's that's a good thing. So I think there's there's merit in the show as a format. If you're not a misanthrope, I think it's a great show. Yeah, I, but I do think that in terms of giving people like a compelling reason to watch it at this moment, yeah. After eleven years of pretty much the same thing. Yes, they've tinkered and they've had spin-offs and all the rest of it, but it's effectively it's the same show yeah. as it was 11 years ago with the three same hosts, one of whom has become embroiled in a whole bunch of scandals that maybe drive a sort of ambivalence towards whether or not it's a good thing to be watching the show, certainly drive a kind of uncertainty amongst sponsors mm. about whether they should be associated with this show. Mm-hmm. And I think those things all kind of mean that changing hosts right now for the show and for Network 10 is probably not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, it could be like the Top Gear hosts when they indeed all decided after Clarkson was sacked um, for another offence, they all said, well, we're all going to go. We're all going to do a different show and we're all going to be together and take our, take our great entertainment package that we are and, and put it somewhere else. Yeah, from Amazon, uh, from uh, BBC to Amazon. And in Top fact, Gear now has new hosts, I believe. I yeah, and I, but I mean, uh, interestingly, I... I Doubt that you could make a case that Top Gear um, is the success that it was under Clarkson and Co. And I also doubt that you could make a case that Clarkson and Co. have been the success that they were on the BBC by going to a streaming play. Mm. So, whatever happens out of this, it's possible that MasterChef will never sort of regain the heights that it that it had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, season one finale, oh, season two it was, sorry, was watched by almost four million people. That's right. an inconceivable figure these days. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're just like, that's you're, not going to happen. It doesn't that. matter what show it is, it's no, just not going to happen. No. So, uh, except for the you know, sport, sporting grand finals yeah. and so on, yeah. Um, and it's possible that uh, Gary, George and Matt could go elsewhere and do something else and mm. it might be okay. And they might make a decent pile of money out of it, but it's unlikely ever to have the same kind of resonance, cultural resonance, that, that MasterChef at its peak did. Yeah. And that's reflective of the changing nature of the medium. Mm. Like us, rate us. You can visit our Facebook page, join our Facebook group at facebook.com. <laughs> Look for the Clappers podcast. <laughs> dot com. <laughs> no dot com. Andrew, I want to talk about a show called Lambs of God. Okay, it looks disgusting. Why do you say that? I saw a clip and it was just disgusting. But, but come on, come on. Go there beyond was, it looks disgusting. Tell was, me what looks well, disgusting about there was it. Some kind of weird looking face that was sewn up and <laughs> some goopus coming out of someone's eyes and it just looked really goopus disgusting. Goopus coming. Are we talking about the same show? Maybe not. <laughs> I was led to believe the property was uninhabited. Why is he here? You want us to leave, but I've never been outside. It's almost a new millennium, sister. The church has moved on. This is a four-part series on Foxtel, right? It's a uh, it's an Australian drama. Stars yeah. Essie Davis and Sam oh, Reed. No, this this is not the show. I'm okay, so so I'm thinking of some other show. So. Okay, not content with saying you were wrong about that film because I heard 15 seconds of audio. You are now adding your judgment to something now, that is actually a different yeah, show entirely. That, and, and I think that's fine. But, but I, I, don't, I do. don't think that I said that you were wrong about a film. I just said what I said. That doesn't yes. make you wrong. Uh, it makes you misguided. Uh, fair enough. Thank you. Uh, and <laughs> 
which one might say about you condemning a show that is other than the one we're talking about. I just thought it was a different show. Okay. I'll find so, out what the other one is. Please do, because I'm intrigued. You want to I think I'll have to watch you, it. You yeah, want to watch absolutely. it, yeah. So, Lambs of God, four-part series on Foxtel. Yep. Made in Australia. Period uh, drama. What? Period drama. Uh, well, period drama in the sense of uh, 1999. Period drama. <laughs> 20 years ago. That now makes me an historical figure, doesn't yes, it? Yes, I feel I felt historical all my life, so I'm glad that you're on board. Welcome to the club. So it's said it's said in uh it mostly takes place in a and a sort of a ruined semi-ruined mm. convent. Although they refer to it as a monastery and I'm a little bit troubled by this fact because okay. there are only nuns living there. Yeah. So it can't really be a monastery no. at all. So I'm calling it a convent. Yes. Um, and it's the... And you stick to that. I am. It's the monastery slash convent of St. Agnes. Yep. Uh, they are the sisters of St. Agnes. There are three of them left. Okay. Yep. Uh, they're played by Anne Dowd, yep. who is... I think she's Canadian, in fact, Anne Dowd, but she, she's best known probably to Australian viewers as Aunt Lydia in The Handmaid's Tale. Right. Terrifying character of Aunt Lydia. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, Essie Davis, who yep. is probably best known to Australian TV viewers as Franny Fisher. Um, I did see her in something once where she was in contemporary dress. Did you? I was it. Good was Lord. it the slap? Yes. Uh, was she in the slap? I think she was in the slap. Yeah. yeah. And I, I thought unrecognisable, but but she was really good. Yeah, she's terrific. I thought good on you for putting on some regular day to day clothes. Yep. Um, and uh, uh, an English actress called Jessica Barden. It, okay. it, this uh, this monastery is supposedly slash convent is. <laughs> Supposedly on an island in the North Sea. So the mainland, small town, is meant to be, ah, look, I'm guessing maybe, well, it wouldn't be Yorkshire because it's the wrong coast. Wrong side. um, Lancashire, maybe, something, Pembrokeshire or something like that, you know. I don't know. Somewhere up there in the northwest of, yeah. of England. The northwest um, or the northeast? Uh, northwest. Okay. Yeah. The northwest, okay. if we're talking yeah. about the yeah. Irish Sea. So. The um, Irish Sea? You said did the I North say North Sea? sea? Sorry, I meant, not, I meant Irish Sea. I'm getting so confused. Oh, I'm, so am I, clearly. <laughs> this is what happens when you film it in Tasmania <laughs> and pretend it's somewhere else. <laughs> so it's the Irish, Irish Sea. The Irish sea, sea that is betwixt Between, Ireland. That's the one. And England. That's the one. Okay, I can picture it now. You got it now? Yeah, got it now. Picture it now. Right. Not as far north as, uh, you know, the Aran Isles, which are on okay. the other side anyway, but, you know. Let's stop. Let's stop. Let's stop with that. Somewhere in the water. Let's get back it's to. It's an island. Let's get back to this costume drama. <laughs> so there's these three sisters. In their nuns' habits. No. What? In woolen garments, right? Right. They And they have this kind of remnant kind of uh, belief. It's sort of, it's a mashup of Catholicism and pagan oh, okay. uh, worship. Right. So th- they keep, they have a, uh, a flock of sheep and they, they believe and, and, and genuinely seem to believe that the, uh, the sheep are the reincarnations of departed sisters. Former sisters okay. in the order. Yeah, I can I can see that. That's anyway, so the main the main narrative drive yep. here is that a priest comes from the mainland he wants to shear the sheep. Does not want to share or shear the sheep. He wants shave them. He wants to kick the the nuns out ah. uh, because the church has plans to turn the uh, this site into a tourist destination. They want to basically build a high end hotel on it. So, wh- wait, wait, so where's the priest from? He's from the mainland. Which, which mainland? We're, we're England. We're betwixt two it's mainlands. From England. He's, He's from, from England. England. Okay. All yes. right. Good. So, 
<laughs> so you've basically got this kind of patriarchal church hierarchy coming yeah. into conflict with this slightly pagan, feminine yeah. uh, divine. Simple. And, yeah. And it is an absolute hoot. Is I, it? I love this show. And, and I think it, it owes something to the fact that I was raised Catholic and I think I have access to a whole lot of guilt and repression and so much is hang owed, up. So much. <laughs> whether we look at your choice of career, all kinds of things are owed, are owed to your uh, c- Catholic upbringing. Be that oh. as it may. I don't think it's essential to to uh, the enjoyment of this show that you okay. that you are similarly messed up by a, cha- uh, a Catholic upbringing. Okay, but uh, I think you know it helps to sort of like mm. recognise your sort of like visual cues and okay. so on. Yeah. There's a lot of in gags there. I okay, think. and it's it's like very, Father Ted. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe yes, but it, I mean it's not like it's not. Playing for broad comedy, right? But you can watch Father Ted and yeah. not have ever walked, documentary? never walked into a cathedral in your life, yeah. and you'll get a lot of enjoyment. Yeah. Well, out I of suspect that. you'll. I suspect whether or not you get all of the kind of Catholic reference points, you'll get enough mm. in okay. this to to I think enjoy it. Certainly to know what's going on. Yeah, it's uh, it's good fun. Yeah, it's really good. good fun, and it looks amazing. It's shot mm. by Don McAlpine, who okay. who is a renowned Australian cinematographer. Shot Breaker Morant a million years ago, mm. and a, a whole bunch of things over the years since. Yeah. Um, it looks amazing. Uh, it's got a great cast: Daniel Henschel, uh, Damon Harriman, the the women I've mentioned. Uh, Sigrid Thornton crops up in it. It's a it it's a very very well made mm. piece of work, and the. I think the production design of this thing by Chris Kennedy is particularly worth noting because he has con- all these names in his this head, convent listeners. he hasn't written them down. These are all coming out of his brain. These this names. convent doesn't actually exist, right? It's a, it's a it's a sort of a fabrication. Yes. Or as I refer it's to a set? It, as I it's refer, a set? no, it's not, well, it's part set, but it's like you get all these aerial shots of this rocky outcrop, which is in fact Tasman Island. Yes, right. With this ruined uh, convent, mm. which in fact is a CGI creation, yeah. which is positioned next to the this mainland, and you can get across by a, a causeway at low tide. Mm. The causeway doesn't exist; mm-hmm. none of this happens. And there's this beautiful walled garden, which is in fact in the in the Blue Mountains. I just and you know it's an act of transubstantiation, is what it is. They're acting. It's a miracle. They're not real. Sisters. They're not real sisters. They're acting. <laughs> I'll behave. I'll behave. Anyway, it's just <laughs> great fun. Seek oh, it out. Good. Oh, that's good. I think I'll tell my mum about this. This sounds like the kind of show she would like. I think it's the kind of show you would like, Andrew Young. I, I dare go that far. Okay. Well, uh, I, I have no time for anything until the end of the great race. So once that's over, I may be able to find some entertainment time to watch Lambs. Ah, God. What are we going to do with them? He will bring other men down upon us and we will lose our home. The war men bring trouble. <laughs> have you seen the final quarter? I have. Did it... Was it a powerful experience for you? It was an extremely powerful experience for me. But I, I, I will... To put a little footnote there, Dude. I've seen both of the Adam Goods documentaries. Okay. I've seen both. Should the you final not quarter. talk about the other one? Yeah. Well, oh, we'll, well, we won't talk about yeah. it much now, yeah, yeah, yeah. except to say that it is also a really powerful piece of yeah. work. So, the final quarter, you've yeah. watched it? I have watched it. I did. I watched it. 
Yeah, look, he's an unbelievable player. He's got two Brownlows, he's got three best and first, four All-Australians, one of the all-time great players. The AFL fans and officials have expressed shock and disappointment. I've never seen a country so divided about a sporting subject like this. What he's doing is cutting through. He's forcing our nation to talk. It's not a comfortable thing to talk about. It's definitely not a comfortable thing to go through. I decided to stand up, and I'll continue to stand up. It was a terrible experience. It was terrible to go, because going through that as a, a non-Aboriginal person and going to games, fortunately it didn't occur uh, at the games that I went to. I Let me, let me say this. Um, it's if For everybody, it's a documentary about a football player called Adam Goods. Some call him one of the greatest footballers of the of the game of AFL and how the last couple of years of his career were marred, spoiled and ruined by constant loud uh, booing every time that he approached the ball. It's about that. It's about so much more. Well, it's worth mentioning here as a setup that of course mm. Adam Goods is indigenous. He's yes, Adam indigenous Goods is an indigenous stream. I don't when when my team plays, right? I like to watch my team play. I don't watch all the other games of the round or anything. Mm. And I'm not interested in other teams. I'm not interested in other players. However, I loved watching Adam Goods play. And he was astonishing. I, I, and, and, and as I love watching Eddie Betts play yep. now, yep. I the, the Geelong Football Club have had a huge amount of of Aboriginal players through their their period. So it's always great to be able to see Aboriginal players in your own team. Sydney was the team that Adam Goods played for, and he won two premier no, two premierships, um, two Brownlow medals, played three hundred and seventy two games, I think. It was 374, but had an amazing football career and was Australian of the Year, just acknowledged as one of the greats of the game. And not unlike Heresia Elamumba, who played for Collingwood, who we spoke about the documentary on him, once he started to speak out about racism, about racism that he was experiencing, he was no longer everybody's favourite Aborigine, Mm. which is what happens, mm. you know. There's a lot of interesting it's it's this this film is interesting because there's a scant bit of narration, but it's pretty much just clips being pieced together from the time right up until well, there's not really any narration. Here, so. It's there's a few little interjections a few mm. little notes that mm. kind of set up where we're at in there's the a in there's the a voiceover that I heard a few times that is I it? thought, where's I'm that coming that. from? Who's yeah. that? Why well, uh, that kind of, kind of threw me a little bit actually. So it's it's radio broadcasts, it's television broadcasts, it's newspaper articles. Uh, there are certain 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 columnists uh, stand out for um, uh, blaming Adam Goods for his own situation. Yeah, that would be Miranda Devine and Andrew Bolt, uh, and of course Alan Jones on radio. Alan Jones on radio and Sam Newman on television. Yeah, yeah. they all put the blame fairly and squarely on him. Okay, let, let's just sort of backtrack yeah. a little bit here because the the blame and the, you haven't we haven't spoken have spoke about the incident yeah, that really so, well, there set are, everything Well, there are two off. things, okay? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's there's one thing which is that and this becomes more apparent in the Australian Dream, the other documentary, mm-hmm. but, um, Adam Goods belatedly sort of came to uh, a full appreciation of his uh, Aboriginal identity, right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't it wasn't like he arrived at uh, Sydney Swans as fully formed in that identity. He came mm. 
over a process encouraged by the club yeah. to explore yourself and so on. Mm-hmm. All you know, a lot of the football clubs do this now. They have this kind of self development kind of ethos uh, for their players, and. Um, helping to make them more rounded than just a footballer. Yeah. So, and for for Adam, that became uh, a journey into his his indigenous identity. So that came to the fore uh, probably from about uh, I don't know, sort of around two thousand and ten or so, two thousand nine, two thousand and ten, and. It was in the Indigenous round in 2013, I think it was, uh, in a game against the Swans versus Collingwood where a young girl, 13-year-old girl in the crowd um, called him an ape and he took offence and uh, he called her out and then she was escorted from uh, from the stand by security guards and the next day there was a press conference in which he said I, I, this is not about this girl this is you know she's the face of racism but she has no uh, you know she I, I don't blame her she's only reflecting what she's been being brought up with and in in the documentary in the final quarter you see that press conference in in to, you know in some detail and I kind of think he actually handled it I think reasonably well, you know. I mean, there are some renderings of it where you kind of go, oh, he was maybe a little inflammatory and he perhaps mm. could have been a bit more gracious. Actually, I actually think the more you see of it, the more you realise that he, he was actually quite gracious. Well, that was the most staggering thing for me watching that was how how he embodied grace. Yeah. I can't imagine any of the things that he has experienced, and nor do I attempt to, but to have to put up with almost blanket vilification in the Australian media and to have every time you go to go to work having between 60 and 100,000 people perhaps screaming yeah. at you and and to, to, to be able to bear that, to bear up and be a gentleman and be gracious in the way you, every time the microphone is never, uh, is, is half as angry as Sam Newman is, at him uh and and what was yeah that was just that was something that really stood out for me was how gracious he was and and speaking of sam newman i wish that the the camera hadn't been so tightly focused on his face because one of the things and this came from the heretia lumumba documentary as well is the people who enable that kind of um vilification so you've got Sam Newman there making these points uh, and blaming Adam Goods and calling him a jerk and everything and saying that it's not about racism and, you know, it's, it's, it's about whatever. Uh, I'd love to have seen what the fellow panellists were doing at the time that he was saying this because he was given such a free hand for all the offensive things he did on that show over the years. Mm. No one really stopped him and no one really said anything. It was, oh, come on, mate. And there were a few times when I would love to have seen what other people were doing at the time and how they were responding to the type of things that he was saying. Or there was another another panel show, I can't remember. I mean, it was great that they went, that they showed people like Caroline Wilson supporting him, uh, Adam Goods. It was very interesting to, to see the discussion with um, uh, Nathan Buckley on that show, 360, yeah. which I don't, I don't see. Uh, and the weekly, the Charlie Pickering show, which used comedy to continually bring the point home yeah. that this is racism. Yeah. This is about racism. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, Adam Goods' extraordinary grace is something that just makes make everybody feel ashamed. You know? uh, the, the thing that strikes me about this thing, right, is that it went to air on 10 mm-hmm. uh, and then 
it, it drew a reasonable audience, 400-odd thousand people. Okay, not not too bad. No. There'll probably be a lot of people who've come to it uh, on catch-up afterwards. It is being used as an education tool in schools and in, in uh, AFL clubs. So mm-hmm. it's going to have a life beyond that initial mm-hmm. broadcast, which I think is a wonderful thing. But there was so much commentary online from people saying, basically just propagating the same old, yes. same old, yes. that it's it wasn't about racism. If you hadn't been such an arsehole, if you weren't so, yeah. so arrogant, blah, blah, yeah. blah, bullying. Let's not forget the 13-year-old girl, who, by the way, is no longer 13. So mm. let's yeah. you know, yep. let's yep. not let's forget that she has also aged over time. Yeah. Yeah. I, and exactly. I have no idea what she thinks about any and of frankly, this now. And frankly, children who misbehave, in fact, there was one at your house that I had. <laughs> children who misbehave must be told that they're misbehaving. Okay, don't talk about calling out a 13-year-old girl. A 13-year-old girl does something disgusting, despicable, and I don't know where her parents are, what their parents are doing when she says it, but she does need to be reprimanded for it. Any 13-year-old girl. The girl at your house who demanded a glass of water and didn't say please. It's the second time you've brought this up on this show, so it clearly rankled. It did, it did. It just is an example. Anyway, anyway, Lemony Snicket, moving right along. Yes, so so, uh, yeah, it's true. I've heard text messages being read out on the radio, and it it does appear that there are people who still think that an Aboriginal man should just shut up, stay in his place and be grateful for what he's got. So Rita, Rita Panahi, I don't know how you pronounce her name, in the Herald Sun, wrote a thing today that I saw, you know, complaining about the documentary and saying, well, the school's already overrun with lefties, now we're going to have to have this broadcast to the kids, you know. And so it's still a view, unfortunately. So I, there's... there's a scene in the final quarter uh, where it... it flashes back to I think it's the Nicky Winmar incident and the then Collingwood president Alan McAllister Alan McAllister I remember this yeah uh, so something to the effect of well you know we'll treat them fine if they behave like white men when they're walking down the street if they're they're out in the world walking down the street and they behave like white men then we'll treat them like white men it's just like it is you kind of you kind of go oh my lord and 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 they, and they kind of go oh well that was twenty years earlier so maybe maybe he's a throwback you know mm. except that there is I think in the continuing well, we haven't mentioned Eddie Maguire well I, look okay go on if no you, well, if you well, want well, to go there well I do because he's now the president he's the president of the Collingwood Football Club it's yeah. absolutely significant yeah. that when that happened he went straight down to the rooms to talk to Adam Good right. to offer his personal yeah. apology to go in front of the cameras apologize looking like a complete mensch right yeah like that that was. The right thing to do, Absolutely. you know, and yep. he did the right thing. And he has been said, I had heard him say before and broadcast that racism was over and done with and there's no racism, we're done with racism, yep. and like like he'd solved the problem. And then what happened two days later? Well, yeah, two days later he goes on air and draws a parallel between that great musical that you enjoyed, King Kong, and Adam Goods being used yeah. as a promotional yeah. d- device or something. I have no um, idea what was going on in, in Eddie Maguire's mind at that time, but I genuinely believe, and yeah. I... I Lots of people will disagree with me on this. Yep. I genuinely believe that he is not a, a, a racist mm-hmm. uh, or overtly a racist. Okay. And I genuinely believe that he is not th- bad in that way, right? Mm-hmm. I do think that he has a tendency to speak first and think later, mm-hmm. and particularly on on air, on radio. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was 
I, I, it's unforgivable. I it mean, is. it's absolutely unforgivable. But, and and, has, I'm not, and it's not been forgiven. And, and I'm not Woods making not, any not apology gonna, for it. But, yeah. I, but, I, but I, th- I think I would draw a distinction between Eddie Maguire's behaviour through, through this whole sorry saga and that of, say, Sam Newman, right? Or Alan Jones or... Yeah, or, who are, or, who or are, Randy Devine or Andrew Boyd, who are unrepentant in their refusal to see... Yeah what racism is That's or right. what it represents. Alan Jones was the coach of the Australian Rugby Union team and he said, oh, there was no racism there. I coached Aboriginal players, Mark Eller and, and others, and, and they, they never experienced yeah. racism. And they go straight to Mark Eller. Yeah, he says, exactly. well, I don't know where he was. Exactly. I mean, he was in the grandstands, he, you know, right. like with his – and he doesn't say this, but he was with all these white mates drinking wine in the grandstand while Indeed. I'm down there, you yeah. know. Being called a black yeah. bastard or whatever yeah. it was. That's yeah. right. And so – you know, yes, it is. It is. Uh, there is a huge disconnect mm. between the experience of those who are actually on the receiving end, yeah. and those who who deign to speak for them and, yeah. and talk about how great the game is and how this this is not a problem. Yeah, look, I, I think it's a, a remarkable document. I think it's absolutely worth seeking out, and uh, and it's not that hard to seek out. You yeah. Just go on your it's ten ten play is the name of their you, the you find it on ten play now streaming. Yeah, yep, that's right. So and I think uh, if you're a, if you're a a member of a footy club or whatever, you may well get to mm. see it through that environment. And I, I think it's worth seeing with, you know, if you're somebody who plays footy and has, has a bunch of mates, it's worth seeing with, with a group because... Mm. It'll bring up things to talk about, won't it? I definitely think it'll shift people's minds. I'm, I'm I don't think I, anybody can see this yeah. and not agree that there's an issue. I think it's only those those comments from people who's saying... Uh, you know, rubbish. It's not. It's not racism. Blah blah blah. I, I almost guarantee that they hadn't watched it. Yeah. I don't think yeah. you could be subjected to the ninety or whatever it is. It's only an hour, actually, the hour mm, of this documentary, wrong. and not come to the conclusion that there was a system, a systemic problem there. That yeah. it's not just a bunch of people saying we don't like you staging for free kicks. No, and, and not, uh, that's uh, that's that another thing. The way that yeah. the justification shifted over oh, time. It was what? about the thirteen-year-old girl. It was about him being arrogant. It was about the staging for free kicks. It was but about him was, being too good. But it was know? also them broadening it out. So this is race. Well, you know, we want the LGBT. We want people who are this. We want everybody to feel. It, uh, the, whenever you'd hear an official talk about, it, they immediately watered down the issue. They did yeah. not want to say. Aboriginal people. They did not want to say racism. They wanted to say we're inclusive of all types. All types? Yeah. Like what what does that mean? You know, we humans want, and non humans. We want everybody to it it it, it, it it's mealy mouthed and it's weaselly it the way that, that people who were in a position to do something or to offer something in a official leadership capacity failed. Yeah. And it, it, it shows that. And as, I, as the AFL has conceded. As they in have. Fairness. As McLaughlin in has fairness. conceded. And I have to say that I'm very glad that I didn't watch this with anyone, that I was able to sit <laughs> in the privacy of my own room, of, the, of a room in my house, and no one watched me while I was watching that film. Right. I would much prefer to have been watching that in the privacy of my own misery mm. than anybody else having to share that. The great great shame of mm-hmm. both of these films yep. uh, and I should, should just say that the, yes. the Australian Dream uh, which is uh, in which Adam Goods one. does participate okay. yeah. he's actually interviewed in this and yeah, he speaks he in talks this about it. but it's really driven by Stan Grant's uh, essay on uh, the yeah. Australian Dream yeah. and it's it's a it's a fantastic piece of work it opens the Melbourne Film Festival on August 1 great so, choice of film uh, it will be getting a cinema distribution, um, I think, later in the month, possibly September. Um, Good time, September, to do it. It is indeed. Uh, the great shame about mm. both of these films is that Adam Good says repeatedly in both of them, I just want to start a conversation. 
and all he got was a slanging match. And yeah, I think yeah. that is just such an indictment of where we're at mm. in our ability to actually look at this thing in the eye and, and deal with it. That's true. All right, that's enough for the clappers. I'm going home to me shop half a bottle of beer. Ta-ra for now. <laughs> <laughs>